1: Hello and welcome back to the latest edition of our Orbital Insights podcast series. This is the last in our special series of podcasts to celebrate and honour South Asian Heritage Month and highlighting some of those exceptional people of South Asian heritage who are doing wonderfully well in the law here in the UK. And today, in the last of this special series, we have in one place four incredible junior counsel from One Essex Court, which our listeners will know, is one of the top barristers chambers here and internationally. And collectively, if I may say, a very high concentration of of grey cells per square inch. All four guests today are already stars and will be the leading lights at the bar and, I dare say, in the judges' benches in the years to come. They are quite simply formidable. We have with us today Nahali Shah, Veena Srirangam, a Niranjan Venkatesan and a KV Krishna Prasad, who goes by the name Krishna. A very warm welcome to you all. I will say a few words about each of you because it's befitting that I do so. Before I do say that, I will tell you that Nahali, Veena, Krishna and Niranjan have expertise in a number of the core areas of practice that one is its core, one would expect international arbitration, banking and finance, insurance, energy, and several other areas of commercial law. So first up, Nahali. So Nahali was called to the bar in 2008 and has been instructed in an absolutely stellar series of cases over the years and has been instructed in the last two years by the top 100 UK companies, more than any other junior at the bar, which is quite an accolade, Nahali. One QC has famously said, and I'm going to find out who this is in due course, but not in this podcast, I would not be surprised if one day she were to emerge as a Supreme Court Justice. Now, that is quite a reference. So, hello, Nahali. Hi, Gautam. Our next guest that I'd like to introduce is Naranjan Venkatesan. He was called to the bar here in the UK in 2015. Prior to that, he taught law at Oxford and he practiced at the Indian bar between 2011 and 2013 it's been said about him quite rightly that he's quote truly phenomenal incredibly sharp and bright and someone who knows case law inside out he is a legal dictionary end quote again a wonderful reference for you niranjan next we have krishna so krishna was called to the bar in 2017 he taught law at oxford before he came to the bar and one of his major areas of specialism when teaching was the law of restitution where his work was cited with approval by the now Lord Legate. And that is again a wonderful reference to you Krishna. Krishna is also qualified in India and is also a very keen academic and is currently writing a number of books on Indian law. So hello Krishna. Hi, And last and definitely not least we have Veena Srirangam. She was called to the bar in 2017 Vina was previously a tutor at Cambridge, and she has also written extensively in several areas and is one of the truly, again, rising stars, not just at One Essex Court, but at the bar generally. So it was with huge joy that I'm speaking to all four of you today, and I'm really grateful that we're doing this one. Actually, this is a unique podcast, I must say, because it's the first time we've done one with more than one person. So it's actually, you know, we're breaking new ground here. So that's really good. So let me ask you all the first same question to start with. And that is this. How did you come to the law and what made you choose the law? So let me start off first with Nahali.
2: Sure. I didn't know any lawyers growing up in our, in our family or sort of more widely, but I always liked the idea of the law The idea of argument, the idea of persuasion, the idea of advocacy, ideals of civil justice, the types of issues at stake. So I came to the law. I did a bit of work experience when I was at school and then decided that I wanted to do a law degree. So I studied law at university after doing quite a wide range of different subjects for A level. And even when I came to my law degree, I had an open mind as to careers after the degree and I was still interested in banking and consulting and other things. But having studied the law, I knew that I just loved the subject and and wanted to practice in it. And so having studied the subject, I then confirmed my interest in it and that I wanted to pursue my career in it.
1: Fabulous. So I'll ask Veena next, please.
3: Like Nahali, I didn't know any lawyers growing up. I didn't have any lawyers in the family, the immediate family or my parents' social circle. So I came to the law very much as an academic subject. I discovered it probably through open days and interesting lectures that I went to just before university. And similarly to Nahali, I had quite an open mind when I was studying law. I thought that I might become an academic. I really admired my professors when I was studying law. I wanted to be just like them. Um, And I discovered quickly after graduating and doing a master's degree that just studying law and just... Being very academic about it probably wasn't the right fit for me. I wanted something a bit stimulating about the real world, um, and that's how I sort of discovered the bar, really. And uh, that's that's what brought me to a lot of work experience.
1: Excellent. No, thank you, Krishna. I'll ask you next, please.
4: I like Nehali and Vina. Stumbled into it, I think. As a sixteen-year-old, I was very convinced that I wanted to become a musician, and my Middle class Indian parents who were both academics weren't exactly excited about that idea. So I was politely asked to look at other options. So I did. I was vaguely interested in public speaking and I was interested in the idea of a performance. So I thought maybe I should go and become a lawyer, not, not knowing anything at all about what becoming a lawyer involved. So, I went and wrote the entrance exam to get into the National Law School in Bangalore in India. And for reasons that remain unclear to me to this day, I've managed to get in and been doing law since then.
1: Fantastic. You know, I'm going to come back to the musician bit later on. I'm going to, you know, so I've given you fair warning. I've given you fair warning. So, last and not least on this first question. So, Niranjan, what brought you to the law?
0: Well, I've wanted to be an advocate since I was 12 or 13. There was no one trigger for it, but I'd been interested in the legal world from a young age. I used to read legal biographies, participated in several advocacy or public speaking events in school, and I applied only to law school for my undergraduate degree. In law school, as it happens, I developed a deep academic interest in the law, initially public law and then commercial law. And that, combined with my interest in advocacy, meant that the bar was a natural choice. When I was an undergraduate at the National Law School in Bangalore in India, I thought I'd become an advocate in India, where I did in the event practice for two years. But I changed my mind about that when I did the BCL at Oxford, and I knew then that I wanted to come to the commercial bar in London and that's what
1: I went on to do. Fantastic. I mean, look, four great answers, which have been a great platform for the rest of this discussion. You know, let me turn next to something which I know is very important to, to us all, especially as we begin in our careers and we progress through our careers. And that's mentorship, sponsorship and support. And we all benefit from this and we continue to benefit from these ways in improving what we do. So let me ask you each as to say a little bit about who has mentored and sponsored you and inspired you in the course of your career so far. Maybe I'll start in reverse order as I did on the last question. I'll ask Niranjan first. Who would you say has uh, been your greatest mentors and sponsors and who's inspired you the most?
0: I've had a number of mentors over the years. Ever since I started at the bar in 2015, I've been very fortunate to have worked closely with Laurie Rabinowitz QC. As everyone knows, he is an absolutely outstanding lawyer and advocate, and he's probably the person I've learned the most from. More generally, over the past few years, I've had the privilege of working with some of the finest silks practicing at the commercial bar, such as Mark Howard QC, the late Robin Dicker QC, David Mumford, QC, and others, and I've learned a great deal from all of them. Going further back, ever since I was a law student, I've hugely admired Lord Hoffman and Lord Sumption, particularly for the depth of their legal analysis and the clarity of thought and exposition in their judgments. So it was a real honour that when I did a doctorate at Oxford, Lord Hoffman was one of the examiners. And when I did the BCL, I was taught restitution by Justice James Edelman, as he now is, and he encouraged me to come to the London Bar, and in particular to 1 Essex Court, and I'm very grateful to him for that. Those are just some of the mentors I've had. There have been others, and I'm greatly indebted to all of them.
1: Thank you, Niranjan. So uh, let me ask Krishna next, please.
0: A huge number
4: of people have helped and supported me. As for mentors, I think the, the one person who stands out is Niranjan. We in law school in India at roughly the same time where he was two years my senior and we were in Oxford together for a few years before he came to the bar. And I think if I hadn't met him, I may not really have ended up at the commercial bar. Again, a huge number of people who I've learned a lot from and who who have inspired me, but probably the name that stands out is Lord Panic, with whom I did an appeal recently. And I think like all great lawyers, he has the ability to simplify rather than complicate things. And the astonishing skill to reduce to one or two simple sentences a complex three-day appeal, it's, it's not really a quality that one can emulate, but it's, it's worth trying, I think.
1: Well, we've had some incredible names, incredible people who'd grace the list of anyone worldwide you know let me then turn to Veena
3: like Krishna there are many many people who have supported me and many many people who I admire but one person who really speaks to my journey to 1064 is Anna Bose QC she emailed me when I was still considering the bar in 2015 or 2016 um, and I was teaching at Cambridge at the time with details about women at the commercial bar open day that one six six was putting together and she said, oh, can you pass this on to your students? And I wrote back saying, oh, well, thank you very much. It's very interesting. And actually I'm also considering coming to the bar and I find this open day quite interesting myself. So I will also apply and hopefully come along. And within a matter of minutes, I got a response back saying, oh, that's very interesting. I'd really like to meet you and talk to you about coming to the bar with commercial bar um, and just for us to connect. And that was the first positive message I had received from the bar about wanting wanting me. It wasn't just me applying to be a part of that group. And that really had a huge positive impact already. And when I met with her and spoke to her, I, I, I found her to just be a normal person <laughs> who practised as a barrister. And it wasn't this sort of incredible, uh, it just humanised the profession for me. And to be able to connect with her and learn more about the commercial bar wasn't hugely positive experience and happily for me she was my pupil supervisor for six months which allowed me an even greater opportunity to learn from her and i admire her greatly as an advocate i've just done a short trial with her and she managed to change the mind of the judge (laughs) quite a long way by the end that's brilliant and it was great fun.
1: well fantastic and last and not least on this one Harley, please
2: Sure. So in terms of uh, initial mentors and going to the bar, I I wasn't really sure I wanted to go to the bar and I was sort of very risk averse and tempted by firms offering me nice salary packages and handshakes and whining and dining and so on. But my director of studies at the time in Cambridge, Pippa Rogerson, who's now the master of keys, persuaded me to go for the bar and encouraged me a lot and also told me a lot about one Essex court, where a few people from my college already so she definitely encouraged me to go to the bar and whilst at the bar lots of the leaders I've worked with have hugely inspired me and encouraged me along the way in particular for example Tony Grabener and David Wolfson I've learned huge amounts from in terms of advocacy Uh, Tony Grabener has the most amazing presence in court like Lord Panic Krishna mentioned just making everything so concise and simple I've learned the importance of that a huge amount from him. David Wolfson is also an amazing advocate, so conversational, so interesting. I've learned the importance of trying to make the judge laugh, which he does very well, uh, even with judges who you think might not do so. More recently, I've worked a lot with Sonia Teleni and and now seeing more female advocates in court is brilliant. And I think it's great, particularly for female practitioners, to see different styles of advocacy and and to have female mentors as well and also opponents Jonathan Sumption seeing for example his opening speeches and cross-examination was like a master class in advocacy and and such an inspiration
1: I mean those are all incredible answers I've got to tell you you know I must resist the temptation to sort of make too many anecdotes on what you've just said but all of those names I can uh, I've come across I've worked with I've had them as opponents over the years I admire all of them and I remember so many things about you know all of the people you've mentioned and in terms of the judges and the senior counsel that you've worked with but I must say of all of that I think the fact that Niranjan you were such a huge inspiration to Krishna I think that is an amazing thing because I mean I think this is because I think a big part of it is inspiring each other uh, and it doesn't always have to be someone who's 10 years older than you or 20 years older than you or, or 30 years older than you. Inspiration can come in many ways. And, and the fact that you were both at Bangalore and I know the batch system is very important in India. That's a big thing. So, no, no, I'm thank you for all of your answers. I mean, I mean, like I say, I will resist the temptation to say any more. But all of those names are all names that I that I also admire. So let me turn to the next thing. And I want to. In the interest of time, I want to sort of maybe put this to a couple of you and then ask the next question to a couple of you. But this is sort of about the whole practice at the commercial bar, because we're seeing and, you know, the four of you are wonderful examples of this. More and more people of South Asian origin doing really well at the top chambers in commercial law, in the top cases being reported, in some of the most important cases being litigated and arbitrated. But it's not easy. So, when you advise or you know some younger aspiring lawyers as to what they should be thinking about and doing to build a career at the commercial bar, what what would you say to them? And perhaps I start with Nahali on that first, please.
2: Sure, I think you have to be really confident that you want it. As you said, it's it's huge amounts of hard work and. Lots of time sitting by yourself in your office, working uh, on your own and preparing arguments and drafting and researching. And it, it can, obviously often you're working with teams of counsel and solicitors, but a lot of the work is quite solitary. And so you have to really enjoy that work and be very kind of devoted to it and committed to it to be able to do that. I think to work those hours often in your own room and to really enjoy
1: what you do. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing I'll say to you just on that, Lord Justice Singh, who's a you know, good friend of me and the, and our firm and many other lawyers too, and a great inspiration himself, said to me a few years ago, I said, you're, you're in the Court of Appeal, you're, you know, you're obviously doing lots of cases. How do you find the time to be doing all these judgments and working on all these cases? And he said to me, you can't be a clock watcher when you do what we do. And I think that just sums it all up. So what you just said, after that just sums it all up. So let me ask Krishna next, what you think about this.
4: I'm not sure I have much advice to give to someone who is sure they want to come to the commercial bar, but I, I do have advice to give to people who are unsure whether they want to come to the commercial bar, uh, especially people who are unsure because they think that they are not the type of person who should come to the commercial bar. and I. Often when I go for law fairs or other events at various universities, I'm hugely surprised by the number of bright and talented people who won't even think about commercial bar because they think that you need to be a certain kind of person to be a commercial barrister. And my experience of the commercial bar so far has been that that impression has nothing to do with reality. So maybe we need to work harder to get that message out to people.
1: I could not agree with you more. It's making it accessible and tangible. That's really important. I I totally agree with you. And that's the same thing for my side of the profession too. I agree with you completely. So let me ask the next question to Veena and to Niranjan, And this is sort of, I want to ask you a slightly different question. I mean, you both in your period of practice so far, I've been involved and are involved in some incredible cases. And I know the sorts of cases you've been involved in, but I don't want to sort of pick out one of them because there are so many. But can I ask you so far, is there one particular case that's really stood out for you because it's been so challenging, interesting, and frankly, just, you know, difficult in part, and you've made some great relationships? I mean, I start maybe with Veena on that. Sure.
3: I was involved in an arbitration that um, took place last year, and I spent most of last year working on that arbitration. It went to a six week hearing that was split into two phases. It partly tells you already the complexity of, of an arbitration hearing in that format, and it was pretty grueling work. <laughs> uh, it was very long hours, mm. very detailed, complex uh, subject matter. I the arbitration-concerned delays that were caused to an infrastructure project in the Black Sea, and the joint venture partners were suing each other for damages arising out of the delay, each pointed the finger at the other as to the source of the delay. That involved a lot of factual material, and also involved a great deal of expert issues. And one of the expert issues, which I feel extremely passionately about, having been working on it,
1: quite right.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, marine infrastructure. Ah, okay. There was an argument about the types of vessels that should be visiting the uh, terminal, should be service. at the infrastructure project, and uh, relatedly, the depth to which the uh, water had to be dug so that the particular type of vessel could be accommodated in that port. And it was a classic example of the type of work we do. It had something to do with the law. But it also had quite a lot to do with industry and detailed technical complex maths, really. (laughs) It involved understanding the policy around the the terminal like that, the economics of servicing vessels and that sort of project, and physics. Why certain calculations were to be made, ultimately, and very fortunately for me, my leader thought that everybody who was involved as counsel in the arbitration should be allowed to conduct their own expert examination. And I was able to cross-examine the dredging expert, who was a very established person in his field, so it was a slightly daunting prospect. Fortunately, there wasn't much between the experts, so it was an interesting debate.
1: Fantastic. Gosh, you know, I bet you didn't think when you were tutoring at Cambridge that you would become such a world expert in the law, or well, the physics of dredging. But, uh, but, you know, clearly that's been one of the benefits of practicing at the commercial bar. So Anirunjan, let me ask you then, you know, amongst, you know, you've done some amazing work so far in your time. Is there one particular thing that stands out for you?
0: Well, Gautam, it's not easy to pick just one case. But what I would say is that I enjoy doing cases involving really complex points of law. And perhaps as a result of that, I've done quite a lot of appellate work in recent years, including, I think, five or six cases in the Supreme Court. And each one of those Supreme Court cases has been memorable, because when you're doing a case in the Supreme Court or Privy Council, there is a chance to think really deeply about some difficult point of law. For example, earlier this year, I did a case called Grand View in the Privy Council, which raised some quite fundamental points concerning the law of trusts and the powers of trustees. Last year, I acted in a Supreme Court case called BTI and Sikwana, which concerns the existence and scope of the duty of directors of companies to consider the interests of creditors in some circumstances. And in 2020, I did a case that you'll be very familiar with, Enka and Chubb, which was all about the principles for ascertaining the proper law of an arbitration agreement. And each of these and all other Supreme Court or Privy Council cases I've done has been memorable. And so those are the cases that I would identify.
1: Thank you for that, Darren Jen. So let me turn to the next thing, which I mean I want to invite your th- thoughts of all four of you on this, and then we'll go into the final question. But and it's something that we all share a lot of passion about, and that's ensuring and furthering true diversity, equality, and inclusion. And amongst the four of you, you epitomize all of these values. I mean, in Nahali in and Vina, we've got two incredibly successful women lawyers. In Niranjan and in Krishna, we've got two incredible male lawyers of South Asian origin. You know, I think a lot's happened in this area. So when I think to when I you know, started up my career a long, long time ago, things would look very different to what they are now. And thank goodness they do. And there's a lot that's been done and that, that has to continue to be done. But I wonder if you could just share some thoughts as to what more we can all do. And I'm looking really at people like the four of you and colleagues who share the same history and heritage that we can do to continue to break down barriers to ensure that more people like you are able to do well. So I wonder if I could first of all ask Nahali to share some thoughts on that.
2: Sure. I, like you, agree it's so important to improve diversity within the law and when I was growing up and I didn't know any lawyers the the few that I managed to meet had such an impact on me because you know the, the only concrete examples of lawyers that I'd met and so that the advice they gave me and the encouragement was massively important. I think we need to start very early at school because if people it's all very well trying to improve statistics for the number of trainees you take or pupils or tenants but If you don't get people starting early enough at school so that they get the requisite grades because it is massively demanding and competitive so you need good grades to get into good universities and then carry on, it'll be too late. So I think lots of outreach to schools to go and do careers talks and to to talk about what we do and make it seem interesting and exciting as it is and to inspire the youngest people so that they start thinking about it early I think is very important. So I I often go and do school assemblies and, you know, sometimes very young, 11, 12-year-olds, and talk about what we do because for many people it will be outside the realms of what they'll have heard about. So I think we need to start very, very, very early.
1: Fabulous. Thank you, Nihali. Let me turn to Krishna next for some thoughts on this.
4: I think for me there there are two main aspects to this. One is widening the pool of people who, to join chambers. And it's a point I made earlier about why people don't even cross that threshold because they feel it's not for them. And the second related aspect is representation. We all identify more with people who look and sound like us. And and in in my case, for example, I remember listening to a talk by Pushpinder Seni QC, who is now Mr. Seni. About life at the bar, and that had a huge impact on my decision to come to the bar. So the more people that younger applicants have the opportunity to listen to at the bar who are like them and who they identify with, I think the more chances that they will be encouraged to at least consider this as an
1: option. Excellent, thank you. Yeah, and you know, Miss Justice Saney is one of that uh, inspirational you know, triumvirate of judges, I think at the moment, we can look at Lord Justice Singh, Miss Justice Saini, Miss Justice Chowdhury and think, wow, I mean, there's more to come, but that three is an amazing triumvirate. So let me turn next to Veena just for some thoughts on this, please.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with Krishna and Mahali. There's a lot to be said for representation and to see yourself represented in a job that you want to do has has a real power. I also think that The message of diversity is something that has perhaps been underplayed a little bit, regardless of who we are and and what we look like or what our backgrounds are. This job is really about how well you do it. (laughs) Nothing else really matters. You just need to do it well. And that raw meritocracy is, is something that really commends the bar as a profession, and it should commend itself to absolutely everyone who's able to do it well and the part of what we are doing in One Book is to get that message out. We're involved in the mentoring scheme for the underrepresented groups, which is now being run by Corn Bar. We also run our own mentoring scheme for women at the commercial bar to encourage female students to connect with the female practicing female barristers so that they can develop those networks at, at an early stage and think seriously about whether, whether or not this is right for them. I am also, just because I love social media and I love spending time on Instagram, perhaps more than I should. I'm also quite interested in the idea of using social media as a way of outreach. You're able to communicate with absolutely anyone through a picture or a little bit about your day in a way that you might not if you held an event in London and someone had to come down and meet you. And I think that's very powerful and a powerful tool for us capitalism.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree with you more. I just wish I was a lot younger. Venus, so I could also be able to utilise these weapons as well as you do. I mean, I'm of a generation where, you know, I'm sort of rather late to the party, so to speak, on, on that. But uh, well done to you, Vina. Uh, so last but not least on this issue, how about some thoughts from you, Yeah,
0: I agree with all of that. Uh, to my mind, the reason diversity is so important is actually that it's entirely consistent with the principle that only the very best in the practice should be recruited to any position. The reason it's consistent with that principle is that the wider and more diverse the pool from which you recruit, the better your prospects of finding the best people, whatever their background and wherever they may be from. So I think the most important point is actually the one that Veena made, which is getting the message out that the commercial bar is a raw meritocracy. I remember that when I applied for pupillage, or when I was considering applying for pupillage, I did as everyone does, many pupillages. And one of the reasons I applied to 1S6 Court, which in the end was the only set I applied to, although this point is true of the commercial bar more generally, is that the only thing that matters is how good you are and what you can do. Your background is neither an advantage nor a disadvantage, it's just irrelevant. And I think the message that needs to go out is that your background is not an impediment. As long as you can do the job as well as or better than others, you're going to thrive at the commercial bar.
1: Fabulous. I mean... That collectively, those four answers just—I think—that should be played at uh, recruitment fairs globally, not just here. But maybe with Venus, she can put it on social media. But anyway, that's, <laughs> but uh, okay. Now, the last question is going to be again for all, all four of you, and it's this has proven to be one of the most popular bits of any of our podcasts, which is where we ask our guests about s- some light-hearted stuff. So, not law about. So, on three topics, which uh, are music. Film and travel. So I'm going to ask each of you to let us know about your favourite music, be it groups, singers, types of music, a favourite film that you like to turn to once and again when you need to sort of have a refresh on on the movie world. And lastly, is there one place that you absolutely love to travel to? So what I'm going to do here. I'm going to I'm going to just ask Nahali first of all to start us off.
2: Sure. So, um music, I actually did a lot of classical piano growing up and I had a music award when I was at university and so I did lots and lots of piano uh these days i don't really get so much time to play i have two little kids so i'm spending a lot of time playing nursery rhymes to (laughs) them on the piano absolutely (laughs) i try to uh get them involved and 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 play some other stuff to them as well but I, i you know i love beethoven i love chopin i i still enjoy very much playing all those things travel we did so much pre-covid myself and my husband all over the world every continent we now have a three-year-old and a two-year-old and so we're a bit more (laughs) careful about where we go just because the journeys are so tricky still and now that travels you know easier post-covid we took them to Antigua in February and going to France in August and so we're keen to make them intrepid like we are and and see lots of the world and (laughs) I can't wait to take them to India one day. I'm, I am haven't yet braced myself for it, but I, I remember when I was little, the journeys I did on long Indian trains, sleeping overnight and padlocking my suitcase under and all the snacks. It was just so much fun. And you see so much yeah. of life on those journeys. I very much want to share it with my children and also taking them to, to safari in Kenya where my family is from. My, I took my elder daughter when she was six months to meet her great-grandparents, my grandparents in Kenya, which was amazing. And sadly, my grandmother left us earlier this year, but I'm determined to take both to see my grandfather, hopefully later this year. Um, so keen to go and see lots of the world with them.
1: That's amazing. No, no, I think, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, the family and travel thing is just very special. So I don't know. That's amazing. And then, sorry, just one last thing, film.
2: Film, yeah, just uh, tr- struggling to think of a best film. I mean, there's so many that I love watching. I mean, recently I just very much enjoyed, my, my daughter had been too young before, but watching The Lion King with her, oh, yeah. because <laughs> I, <Yeah. laughs> I I mean, I could mention more highbrow films, but actually I, I, I love that movie. I love the music. I love the story. And it's also about Kenya and uh, so t- teaching them about the different animals and the places that was
1: very enjoyable you know they're great choices you know uh, when my children were younger which was a long time ago I used to watch a lot of well I was forced to watch a lot of those sorts of films <laughs> so I I know exactly the territory that you are treading I know exactly what you mean but but some of them are fun uh, some of them are fun so let me ask Vina next on those same three issues
3: Sure, I'll start with music, but unfortunately, my taste in music is not quite as highbrow as Nahali's. I really enjoy listening to A.R. Rahman, who is an Indian composer. He composes a lot of music for Indian movies. He's extremely talented. I moved to the UK when I was 14 and I grew up listening to quite a lot of his music, so listening to it now transports me back to that world where I was not, not yet a teenager and sort of living in in India, so that that is quite a nice, I I love everything by our remarkable and and everything. And I will also say that now, as a resident of South London, I have to say (laughs) that I love Stormzy.
1: He's amazing. He
3: absolutely (laughs) is. And what he manages to capture in music, um, I wish to capture in my advocacy. (laughs) I'll, 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 I'll speak about movies next. My favorite movie of all time, is a Tamil movie from 1964, called Khargalit Kanyerimuri, which translates to There Is No Time For Love. And it's hailed as one of the best Indian comedies ever. And I would say that as a Tamil, but <laughs> it, it is, is. widely. <laughs> and it's great fun. It's actually quite a lot, quite a lot of it, even though written as a romantic comedy, quite a lot of it is political satire and satire about class in 1960s Tamil Nadu. And I find that deeply interesting. In terms of travel, I think my answer to travel would just be, yes, please. <laughs> I love all of it. I wish I could do more. I recently went to Greece for about 10 days, which I really enjoyed. We did a bit of island hopping and uh, spent some time visiting the sites in Athens, which was very nice. My partner and I actually going to India at the end of the year. And he's never been to India before or he's never been to South India before. And it's his first sort of wow. meet the family trip which will be really
1: exciting. <laughs> That's going to be very exciting. That's going to be a real adventure. You know, hope you have a lovely trip there. That's incredible. So let me ask Krishna next.
4: Music, I, I trained as an Indian classical singer once upon a time. And I, I used to perform with a band, which consists of people I met in Oxford. And, you know, we... We did a lot of work on trying to combine Western pop music with Indian classical music. I to say I say, probably have more friends who are musicians than lawyers. So I need to be careful about which of them I'm going to advertise. But uh, I think currently the the one that I would recommend that all of you listen to is the orchestral Kavali project, if you haven't heard about it. So what they do is they combine the Sufi tradition of Kavalis with... A Western classical orchestra. They are phenomenal and highly recommended. Films, I almost exclusively watch Malayalam movies. I i grew up in a relatively small village in Kerala and this is one of the many aspects of Kerala that I have kept with me. Favorite one, probably a movie called Sundation. It's from the early 90s and it, it tells the story of two brothers who have conflicting political affiliations and how they navigate that within their family. And you, you can tell that the movie was ahead of its time because political conflicts seeping into person relationships is something we hear a lot more often now than we did in the 90s and, and the 2000s. Travel, I think one of the more interesting places I've been to recently is Iceland. I think it's one of those countries where it makes all the difference when you go there. So, we, we went there in December when the weather is incredibly variable. So, it, it's bright and sunny one moment, and then five minutes later, you're in a snowstorm. And then a couple of minutes later, the snow is gone, but the winds are so strong that you're worried about being blown away. And, you know, in the night, it's all northern lights filling up the sky. So, it, it really is a magical place, but probably not for the faint hearted in, in December anyway.
1: <laughs> I, I bet, I bet. You've got to bring your thermals as well, no doubt. So last, definitely not least on this question, Niranjan.
0: Well, in relation to films, Gautam, I must begin with a confession, which is that I can't watch Bollywood movies because I don't understand the word of Hindi, despite having grown up in India, and watching them with subtitles isn't really fun. So I'm going to pick an English movie. One of my favorite movies is The Man Who Knew Infinity, which tells the story of the Indian mathematician Ramanujan, the reason that's one of my favorites is that I've always had a great deal of admiration for academics who do pure mathematics, things like number theory. Sir Andrew Wiles is an example who solved for Last Theorem, and that story is told by Simon Singh. Uh, so I really like that movie. Music, I used to sing when I was in school many, many years ago. I gave it up even before I went to law school, but, and that was South Indian Carnatic music. But that has remained with me, and I listen to it quite a lot travel. I mean, I love travel, especially to nice places. We are going to the Lake Palace in Udaipur in India next month. The Lake Palace is a hotel I've always wanted to go to. It's one of the finest in the world by all accounts, and
1: I'm really looking forward to that. Well, look, apart from being four incredibly talented lawyers, you're four very talented individuals. I mean, in the course of this discussion, look how many other skills we've actually, you know, found out about you all. I mean, quite honestly, you could have a One Essex You know, you'd have a, you know, you, you could have, you know, John Legend would have a, and Stevie Wonder would have real competition from Nahali on the piano. And, you know, the singers, I mean, we've got singers and extraordinary people in the rest of you. So amazing, absolutely amazing. And, you know, I'm, I must say, just as we close this, Udaipur, the Lake Palace, Niranjan, is incredible. I went there, a very dear friend had their 50th birthday party there in 2009. And my wife and I were invited as part of a small group. And basically the whole hotel had been taken over just for this birthday party. It was one of the most unforgettable experiences. You will definitely enjoy it. So, uh, you know, we'll swap notes when you're back from that. Absolutely. <laughs> You know, I mean, can I just say thank you all very, very much. Nahali, Veena, Krishna and Niranjan, thank you all immensely for being such wonderful guests. I've really enjoyed this conversation with you all. It's been uplifting. It's been informative. It's been fun. And uh, it'll be very interesting, to say the least, to all our listeners. And I also want to express huge thanks to you all for being who you are, for being the amazing lawyers you are. The champions you are for everyone of South Asian heritage it's wonderful to see see your success you're all doing really really well and you'll all continue to do really really well and I look forward to seeing your continued progression and elevation in the profession it's wonderful to see people like you do well and and also to set such examples to so many others so thank you very much for your time on this podcast and I look forward to seeing you all in person very very soon
3: Thank you, Gotham. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much.
5: Arbitral Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's global international arbitration practice, email arbitralinsights at readsmith.com. To learn about the Reed Smith Arbitration Pricing Calculator, a first-of-its-kind mobile app that forecasts the costs of arbitration around the world, search Arbitration Pricing Calculator on reedsmith.com. Or download for free through the Apple and Google Play app stores. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, Readsmith.com, and our social media accounts at Readsmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.